the fuck is up, people? This is Ron Sense, and this is Ron coming at you with an episode. We are actually going to break down what's going on with the GameStop situation in the markets. I, I, I think that, you know, I've been following this story pretty closely for a little while here now, and so I'm... Uh... All right. Uh, and before we like really get into this episode, I just want to say, by the way, I'm not a financial advisor. This episode is not financial advice. Uh, I'm just getting this disclaimer out here so that nobody comes to try and sue me or something. I'm not giving you financial advice. You need to make your decisions based on what you believe is best based on your own due diligence, whatnot. I'm not here to give you advice on what to do or how to do it. I'm not here to tell you anything to do with your finances. All right. I am just a guy, some fucking idiot who happens to understand a little bit about this stuff and just enough to give you maybe a little bit of a story and some interesting background. Nothing more. Not financial advice, just to be clear. I think that you'll get a chance to actually get a lot of information that you're not getting in the media. And I think you're going to see why some of the things that they're saying, they're missing the point There's, or there's just information missing and basically kind of how we got to where we are and also why, you know, why this all kind of makes sense and why I think that people calling it kind of calling it this frenzy and this craziness is like it is maybe in essence, but that's only just like a surface level description of what's going on. And I, and I think if if you kind of bear with me here, you'll find that it's actually a pretty fascinating situation that we're we're seeing. And and it really is sort of uh, it, it's almost, you know, kind of like the exact opposite of like. Uh, the big short, I guess, in, a, in in sort of a way, and and certainly the aftermath of such, in which like there was just this massive upward wealth transfer that occurred as a result of bailing out all these financial institutions, and 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 in in essence, this is kind of the exact opposite, you know, of occurring. It's a total reverse transfer, um, and it's very interesting if we look at a lot of the details that of like obvious market manipulation from these financial institutions, and 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 you know, the, and the powers that be that, you know, suddenly want more regulation on the financial markets now that, um, you know, inefficiency was exposed by a bunch of people that, you know, nobody would expect to congregate in a way that actually allowed an inefficiency to uh, actually, you know, create a, a situation of risk. And so, okay, so let's dive into like, um, where we're at, uh, I, I guess let let's start from the beginning, right? Okay, so this kind of starts on the Wall Street Bets subreddit. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm a member of which I, but obviously not sort of like associated. I, I guess uh, beyond that, you know, I'm not a mod or anything like that. So I, I don't speak uh, on behalf of the Reddit or the mods or anything. Uh, this is just a recount of me reading. You know, having kind of read through this stuff and and um and and been really keeping an eye on how this is all playing out. So last year, uh or actually I think it was a year and a half or so ago now that uh one one user deep fucking value uh basically came out with the bull case for GameStop. He explained uh why this was actually a huge value play with GameStop and 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 largely the the essence of what it was, right, was that okay, yes, I, GameStop all, all of us, I think, understand why it seems like GameStop's a business that's, you know, on the, on the, on life support effectively, right? The, you know, it's a brick and mortar play, you know, shop, not much of an online presence. Uh, a lot of video games are moving to digital download. 
Yada, yada, yada. The, the, the case that we all know to be, um, what, you know, most people see GameStop as. Um, and a lot of people don't realize, obviously, that you can get new games at GameStop. They think it's a lot of just trading old games and whatnot. But, uh, and of course, that's sort of the meme. I mean, that's how we all, most of us grew up, right? I went, I grew up, I'd go to GameStop, trade in games, trying to get different games all the time. It's like literally how I got the majority of the video games that I hard copy video games that I own. So this guy spells out the case, right? And, and the main case is this. Um, the new generation of consoles, which at that point had not come out yet, but we're on, you know, on the horizon, we're going to be coming out. They're still going to have optical drives, which means that they can still, you know, read discs, which was a hugely important aspect, right? Because that means that disc copies of video games will still exist for the PlayStation and Xbox. Um, which means that obviously GameStop has physical copies of games to sell. Uh, second of all, the new generation of consoles are coming out at some time fairly soon. And historically, GameStop has had its best years of sales and therefore profit on next-gen console releases. It, it's what basically dry, it, it's its most profitable time period is the uh, next-gen console releases. So as long as GameStop doesn't go bankrupt prior to the next-gen console releases, uh, then it's, it's, basically going to be good like it's going to make it so um then like the coronavirus hits and for obvious reasons it seems like gamestop is hosed um but again this is the issue is that gamestop even with declining sales and declining profits and declining cash flow was still cash flow uh and was and as far as i understand is still cash flow positive so this combined with the fact that their debt load was uh relatively in line with their assets. So between their cash, their positive cash flow and their current assets, uh, GameStop actually was able to basically survive. Whether, you know, that they may not have been the healthiest situation, but they could survive, right? They were financially solvent enough. And that's all that mattered because they just needed to be financially solvent enough to get to the next-gen console release to be able to basically kind of buoy themselves from there and kind of continue this sort of uh, e-commerce uh, turnaround that was already kind of in the works. Like it was already understood. Obviously, every single retailer at this point is trying to move towards e-commerce. This was a known fact that GameStop was going to have to try and get into that arena. It, it, and so, um, so right, we kind of fast forward through the coronavirus, and in the meantime, this this value play is still kind of getting called on. You know, people are looking at this and saying, "Hey, this is here. This is here." Uh, but not a lot of people know about it, right? They're, the uh, Actually, one of the famous guys, what is his name, Michael Burry or something like that. I forget his exact name. I guess I could look it up. But he was a guy who was one of the people who famously shorted the market back during uh, 2008. You know, he correctly sort of predicted that the housing market was going to collapse. He bought those credit default swaps against the housing market that basically allowed him to make a fuck ton of money. And so he was invested into GameStop back in like, I think, April or May of last year, 2020. And so, you know, he was one of the few people out there who was long GameStop that was like kind of like, I guess, known, although like I don't think a lot of people actually knew he was long GameStop or even, you know, not a lot of people necessarily actually knew who he was. Uh, but anyways, this value play is still getting kind of called up in, on these forums, right? This is still being talked about like as like a, hey, there's money here. And and GameStop, and, and meanwhile, though, 
uh, on the street, a very a more popular take was, well, GameStop's dying. Now the coronavirus is going to kill it. And so a lot of these sort of vulture companies um, started to short it. And so the short interest started to get very high. Uh, I don't know the exact percentages at the times of, say, like in September or so, but basically GameStop was getting shorted down to the point where it was, you know, pennies, I think, at some point. It it was very, I mean, we're talking the stock was in the, like, $1 to $2 range, $3 range, $4 range, right? To the point where, like, people on the Reddit were actually joking, like, hey, you know, we'd only need to get together, like, $50 million to just buy GameStop. And, And so... Like, you know, we could just buy all the outstanding shares and just, you know, <laughs> whatever. But so any, anyways, right. And so this value play is still kind of getting talked about. Meanwhile, short interest keeps rising. Okay. So we get to the next gen consoles still surviving. Now that means we're getting into next gen consoles and holiday season. So this is good for GameStop. They're, they're going to get a, like a financial windfall from this a little bit. You, you know, they're going to get some money in the bank they're going to get some some good numbers for the next quarter this this means that gamestop is not in an immediate risk of going bankrupt so now we get into uh you know december and i think gamestop is in like the you know the low tens of dollars range and and so let me actually look that up. Yeah, so like uh, basically the majority of December, it was it kind of started in like the 11 ish dollar range. And by the end of December is like in the 18 ish dollar range. So then early, early January comes around and short interest is getting higher. And the sentiment uh, from the deep value players is getting is getting uh, greater as well. So then it gets disclosed uh, towards the beginning of January that uh, this Ryan Cohen, right, is his name, is um, basically he's in, a, he is one of the co-founders of Chewy, which some of you, many of you may know of, right? It's the online e-commerce uh, retailer specifically geared towards pets. Uh, it's sort of like the online version of Petco and PetSmart and, and what have you, right? It's it's this, you know, basically purely online retailer for um, pet pet stuff you know, dog food, whatever, to, you know, all, all the goods, all the normal stuff. And so he, so obviously, right, and, and Chewy went pu- public last year, and it's, you know, whatever market cap is somewhere like $50 billion. And so you're seeing that, um, you know, that Chewy is obviously a successful company right now, right? And so and specifically successful in uh, e-commerce and specifically successful in sort of very niche e-commerce, right? Like the idea of you're going to get GameStop into an e-commerce business in which so, right, it's a um, it's a video game company. So it's it's kind of a niche, right? That's it's one thing that it does similar to like how uh, Chewy is specifically for pet stuff, uh, you know. And so this guy has, you know, obviously a track record with making a sort of niche e-commerce uh, company successful and specifically with Chewy, right? It's it was a startup. It started from nothing. GameStop actually has assets and cash flow to help with getting this turnaround going, which is a, an enormous advantage, right? And so it turns out that he has something like um uh like a ten percent or so stake in the company, right? It gets disclosed. He's got something like a ten percent or so stake. He 
uh, is going to be chairman of the board, and he's bringing on two other people from basically, I, I think, from his venture capital firm, but we're like also involved with Chewy um, at, to, onto the board. So this is huge news, right? I mean, it, obviously, when somebody takes that significant of a stake in the company, that's that's very, you know, that's obviously very important. Like, um, and when this person has a track record of making these companies successful, that's really good. And so uh, GameStop gets a little bit of juice off of that, right? That start, it jumps, I, I think, maybe like 10 or 11% over the course of a uh, week or two there. And so, but this is enough news where... All the people who have been on this deep value play, right? The belief that this company can turn around, it has the resources to do so. This really fuels them in in towards buying, which is a part of where this the stock starts to to jump up. Meanwhile, the shorts um, have now reached the point that they've shorted past the float. Uh, and, and in fact, actually, I think they had actually shorted past the float in the end of December. So what does that mean? The float is the amount of outstanding shares that can be traded. Um, basically, the amount of shares that are available on the open market that, you know, are available to be traded if someone's willing to sell them to you. So um, so then you might say, like, okay, well, how does somebody short more than the float? Because at that point, I think it was 140% past the float. So that means, like, it was something like there was 69 million outstanding shares and, like, 80-some-odd million short. So how does that happen? Okay, so basically, somebody goes out and buys shares, let's say. Let's, uh, you know, whatever. Um, you, you know, you know, guy, guy A has 100 shares. And, um, and guy B wants to short the stock. So when someone shorts the stock, they borrow shares to sell them. So guy B borrows the shares from guy A, sells them to say, let's see, let's say guy C, right? Okay, so guy C now holds shares. Uh, and let's say that guy A owns all the shares, just to keep this really easy, right? So he owns 100 shares, and that's 100% of the available shares. So now guy B comes and takes, lends, you know, gets them lent to him and then sells them. So now he is short all 100 of the shares. He's short 100% of the shares. Well, Guy B can, for example, you, you could borrow those shares back from, from the person he sold them to, Guy C, right? And then sell them to Guy D, for example. So now, right, Guy A, C, and D all own 100% of the shares. So they own three, like, they own three X on the amount of shares that actually exist. Meanwhile, Guy B is shorting 200% of the shares. So now guy B actually has 200% of the shares sold, right? But, and see, like, the thing is, is that guy A, C, and D doesn't all count towards the float. The float's still just the 100. So even though they sort of theoretically all own 300%, there's only 100% available to actually be owned, you know, quote unquote, or, or as far as the outstanding shares go. So here's the thing, right, is now guy B is short 200% of the shares. Um, and so when time comes, let's say guy A says, hey, you know, I want my shares back. Uh, it's time for you to give them back to me. Guy B needs to go out to guy C and to guy, like needs to go out to guy C and D and try and buy back the 100% of shares that exist, right? 
And so guy C and D can sit there and be like, well, I'm kind of happy with the price. I don't really want to sell it right now. So now you have to jack up the price until they're kind of like, okay, I'm willing to buy it. All right. So let's say guy D gives up his, his shares. So now, um, you know, guy, guy B buys the shares back from guy D, gives them to guy A. Okay. Well, now guy C still, you know, has his, has technically has his shares lent out to B, right? So now guy C comes in and says, Hey, I need my shares back. All right. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to, uh, I, I want to purchase these shares, you know, uh, or like I, I'm planning on selling my shares. I want them back, right? So he goes, so now guy B needs to go back to guy A and say, Hey, I, I, I want to buy all your shares because I have to, like, I have to close my short position with C, right? So guy A now owns all of the shares again, right? And so guy A, can just sit there and forever basically and be like no until guy b offers him some out like outrageous price to buy it so now guy a owns all like has all of the bargaining power right guy a can now basically make it such that this this short position like that this person has to close or they go bankrupt and in which case then like that person's broker owes you know owes the money and if the broker goes bankrupt then the bank that backs the broker you know like at some at some point basically guy c needs to be getting his money back so or his shares back and and so what this causes then is a spike in the price it's a short squeeze right the short the short position needs to close and the the people who have the the shares to sell to the person who's short you know, basically just don't sell until they decide, like, you're offering me a price I'm willing to take. So this is that. And, and so I kind of went beyond just the fact that, like, this is how you get past 100% of the float. But the point is, right, so now you're past 100% of the float, which is, a, and, and I kind of gave you an ex- explanation as well as to why that's ungodly levels of dangerous. Like, it, it's, so here's the other thing with it is, in my mind, and while I believe it's not, it may, it may be illegal. I'm not sure because I think it is illegal to naked short like that. But obviously this happens. This is not the first time a company has been shorted past the flow. Um, is that when, when you're going to sell more shares than exist, you create an artificial oversupply, right? I mean, if you're going to, so GameStop has, this 100% of their shares, the 69 million shares, okay? So you sell all 69 million shares in existence, and then you sell another 20 million. Well, then obviously the price is going to go down because the price is based off of 100% of the shares, not 100 and, you know, whatever, 30, 140% of the shares. So the price goes down artificially as a result of you shorting. Well, as a result your short position automatically is already winning, right? Because, okay, some of your shares may have been sold at lower prices, but across the ladder of all your shares as they sold, you're going to be net positive by the time you sell your final share at where the price drops. So you are now looking at a point where you create a guaranteed winning position theoretically it seems like right you've oversold the stock and so now the stock is down and then on top of it these short 
positions, these short sellers, uh, are notorious for letting everybody know what the shorts, what short positions they're taking. And then that creates it into like a toxic asset, right? Because they're this authoritative figure. They must know something. Oh, if these people don't like GameStop, I don't want to buy GameStop, right? It's, it's, it should theoretically drop the price because then it's going to scare away retail investors or other smaller institutions or boutiques or what have you. Um, into getting away from the stock because they think it's a high risk stock now because look at these people they're smart they shorted it obviously it must be going down so that in my mind is market manipulation and i think most people who are listening to me right now understand like would agree right that's market manipulation at its core and it it guarantees that the short position always wins well unless you get some fucking psychopaths who are like, no, I'm not, I don't care what you say. I like the stock. I see the deep value here. And I'm noticing you're short past the float. Because see, all it takes is people just need to notice that it's short past the float, right? Because so these people, these people are pissed at these short sellers because they, they believe this to be a deep value play. And now these short sellers are fucking with their play. And as a result, these people being smart, this is the thing. It's everyone's calling the Reddit people crazy. All these Wall Street bets, oh, they're crazy. They're nuts. They're just psychos, you know, with no it, uh, no understanding of what's going on. No, no, no. They're psychos because they're willing to take on these billionaires, but they're really fucking smart because what they're seeing is that these billionaires are playing a game that even they clearly don't understand. Because these these Redditors then realize, well, hold on, you're short past the float. Which means if we just buy up shares, you eventually have to close your position. And which effectively means you're going to be the one holding the bag because you're going to drive, you're going to have to outbid yourself to close out your position. So... The, it, it just becomes a simple situation of you just buy shares, just buy shares, right? And so that's what starts happening. All these Redditors are like, just buy the shares, buy the shares, buy the shares. And what's concurrently happening is that, um, that exacerbates the situation is there's not a lot of options activity on, on, uh, GameStop. There's not a lot of calls beyond a certain price. I think at the time, um, in January or whatever, there wasn't call options beyond like $60. So what's concurrently happening with this sort of short squeeze scenario is a gamma squeeze, which is that, um, there's call options out there. And so a call, uh, quick, quick rundown on options, right? A call option is a contract and it's a contract that, uh, governs a hundred shares. A call option specifically is the right to, um, purchase shares at a certain price. So let's say I buy a call option at a $10 strike price for the end of January, whatever, you know, whatever month, because there's a strike date and a strike price. And let's say, you know, let's say this stock is worth $8 at the moment. And I buy a call of a strike price of $10. So this call is out of the money, right? Because I'm buying a contract that says, I have the right to purchase this stock at $10. Well, it's worth $8, right? So that seems like a loser, except let's say come to strike date, the stock's worth $12. 
Now, I have an agreement with somebody. They have to sell me their shares at a price of $10 per share. Even though the open market, they're worth 12 So I win. I make money off of this deal, right? Uh, of the call option. Now, here's the thing. Who is the uh, mysterious they that is selling me the shares? The mysterious they is a market maker, generally. Uh, people can sell covered calls, and that and, and that gets into a thing. But a lot of times, it's market makers. So market makers are the people who are are largely buying and selling these options. Now, the market makers, the way they make their money is off the fees of those options. So like I said, I buy that contract to buy the, sh the stock at $10. So that contract may cost me, let's say... 50 cents per share. So the contract's 100 shares. So 50 cents, it's $50. I pay $50. So really my break even is $10.50, right? If the stock is less than $10.50 on the strike date, I am not getting my money back. But anything beyond that, I'm making money, right? So we say that stock was at $12. My net is $1.50 per share. Well, the market makers aren't really in the business of making money on the direction of the stock. They just want to collect their fee, right, that $50, and move it along. So what does the market maker do? The market maker sells you that call, which means the market maker is on the hook to sell you those shares on that day if the strike is there. So the market maker goes out and buys the shares. And I think, generally speaking, they stay net neutral, which... I don't necessarily believe means they actually have to go buy 100 shares. They can actually basically look at a risk profile and say, what are the actual chances on this day that this stock is actually going to be, um, you know, worth $10 and that will get called out. And they buy a certain amount of stock that basically hedges them to the point that based on their risk profile, they're basically at a net zero. Because if they buy all the stock and the stock never gets there, then they're on the hook for that stock, right? So it, they have to look at it. What's the chance of the stock going down? What's the stock, chance of the stock going up? And they buy some amount of stock that allows them to basically stay even. So let's say the stock starts to go up closer and closer to $10. They continue to buy more and more stock. Um, you know, and vice, if they, if it goes down, then they might sell more and more or, you know, whatever. Cause it, the, the net neutral just means that they're, basically not going to get screwed by the direction of the stock no matter what because like i said they want to just collect their fee and move it along well this is where, where it causes a gamma squeeze right because so if you buy so if you buy calls that are in the money or at the money the basically the risk profile comes to the point where basic the delta uh, of this stock is or this option is basically one, right? So, and this is what I mean by that risk profile where they say on the option is the delta of the option, which is basically how much of the value of the, how much does the um, change in stock price affect the change in options contract value? And so the closer that that gets to one or negative one, if we're talking about a put, the, you know, the more that options contract moves with the, the underlying shares, and what that means is for the market maker is the closer to one or negative one that that is, the, the closer to owning all of the shares the market maker does, right? So at the point where basically it gets to one, the market maker owns all 100 shares of that contract. They're ready to sell you the shares, you know, basically is what's going to happen, right? So... Um, so in the money and at the money contracts get to this point. Well, what does this mean? So if a bunch of people buy a bunch of in the money and at the money contracts and the stock's going up as a result, so the out of the money contracts are starting to go to at or in the money, 
the market makers have to buy a hundred shares per contract. So this is like an exponential thing, right? Somebody who goes and buys, spent that 50 cents per share, that 50 bucks for their call option now is governing the purchasing power of 50 shares. And let's say if the shares are at $8 or a hundred shares. And so at $8, their $50 is governing $800 worth of shares. So you start to get this massive run up as a result of call option purchasing and the stock price going up. So there's a sentiment to buy. Then there's so, and this also involves some high frequency traders getting involved because once they see momentum, they get into there, which is another fucked up thing. But we'll get, we'll get to that more. We might not get to that at all, to be honest. I'm throwing a lot of things at you here. Uh, but this is basically just a bunch of different things to tell you that this is how you create an enormous amount of demand for purchasing the stock of GameStop right through through these means you now are having an outsized amount of purchasing going on that of course then leads for price to go up right supply and demand as there's more demand with you know supply remaining the same price goes up and uh and and similarly in the opposite effect again kind of harping on this why i believe what was happening was you know is super scummy on the short seller side that the short interest was all the way up to 140% meaning more shares were sold than exist which means you are artificially creating supply while the demand you know remains relatively the same price goes down so this is what you know I'm kind of talking about when it comes to um the like these market forces causing drastic changes in, in the price or are affecting the price in a drastic way. And and so uh, you have this massive amount of now uh, sort of bullish sentiment, if you will, right? You have all, all of this uh, upward trajectory momentum for uh, the GameStop stock while there's an ungodly amount of short interest. So these shorts are losing money like at an at, – humongous rates because as, as a result because the, like this is the other thing with shorting that's just like I, I just don't understand like basically the only way I, I think that like people short for the most part like actually selling shares short is like they I, I think they're involved in some sort of price rigging or they're like they're cheating the system in some way because it, it simply does not make sense to uh, like to ever actually sell a stock short in, in my mind. Like if you want to bet against the stock, buying a put option is a perfectly reasonable way of doing so. Um, the put option uh, basically works exactly the opposite of how I described the call where you buy you buy a put option, which gives you the right to sell 100 shares at a specified price at a specified time. That meaning that, you know, if the stock goes down, you then can, you know, go out, buy those shares for a cheaper price and sell them at the price you've contractually agreed upon. So thus, you know, if you buy a put that's at a $10 strike and the stock drops to $5, then you go out and buy all the, you know, that $500 worth of stock, right? Five, uh, you know, $5 stock, 100, 100 shares. And then you go and sell it for $1,000 because of the $10, 100 shares. So that's how you make your money off of the put. And the thing with your your risk with the put is your maximum loss scenario with the put is 
you lose all the premium you paid, right? You went out, you bought the put, meaning you went out and shelled out some money so that like your effective, uh, you know, under that same scenario I just gave, right? Stock drops to five, you're selling at 10. Let's say you bought the put at, you know, whatever, a dollar, a dollar per share. So then, you you know, effectively, you, you know, you're collecting $4 per share profit off of that whole ordeal, even though you're buying at five, selling at 10, right? Because that $1 per share of the premium that you paid is, is cutting in there. But so that meaning your maximum loss is that you lose all of that money that you bought the put, like it expires worthless, you buy this worthless object, right? That means that you have a defined uh, maximum loss scenario. When you short sell stock, there is uh, there is no maximum loss scenario. It's well, I mean, the, I should say that the maximum loss scenario is infinite. Like there is no defined maximum loss scenario because it, it literally is an unbounded number. Um, because stock number can go up to infinity, right? And so that meaning that like there there for every you know, every dollar that that stock goes up, you're losing that dollar per share in cost as part of shorting. Well, then, you know, you know, because in the in the other end of things, right, if you buy the stock and it's worth, you know, $10, again, we'll just use simple, simple numbers here. If the stock, right, if the company goes bankrupt, the stock falls apart and, and completely collapses, it falls to zero. So the most money you lose is $10. But let's say you short that stock at $10 and the company, um, you know, blows things out of the water, right? And all of a sudden the company is worth $100. Well, now you owe that $90 per share. So you've, even though you, you sold at $10, the company was worth $10 per share at the time. Now it's worth $100 per share, meaning you lost $90 per share. So th- like, the the loss scenario in short selling just doesn't make any sense to me because technically as far as like risk reward goes because of the fact that the risk is in or like you know that um the actual loss the consequence of the risk is infinite that it's like even unless you are certain that basically right that your risk is zero then basically under any circumstances your 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 risk is infinite Right, because infinity times anything is infinity, except for zero. But I, well, but you know that's, but that's my point. Right, is that unless your risk is actually zero, then your your risk is always going to be too high based on the reward. Uh, th- I mean, theoretically at least, which is why I'm like, well, I think the only way you're actually getting to zero risk is like you have to be rigging the game. Because otherwise, like, they're simply, like, literally, even if it's a 1% chance or a half a percent chance of risk, that's, that's too high. That's too high because your, your, your loss is just too extraordinary. But so that, that's why I, I believe that, 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 you know, shorting a stock like that, naked shorting is just, uh, it had, I, I just think it has to be tied to some sort of shady behavior because there's simply nobody would be taking on that risk without knowing that they're right. And so anyways, right, we get to this, this 140% uh, short selling of GameStop and 
people all realizing, hey, if I just buy shares, eventually these shorts have to cover because, I mean, that you know they they can't they can't have the shares borrowed forever. Um, that you know they're paying interest on it, and then you know obviously they're also just losing money by the stock going up. You or they're you know they're it's paper losses until they close their position, but you know they're they're going more and more in the red every day. The stock goes up, and, and so then. They come in and they start buying in a flurry, but but uh, it seems, at least for the mo- uh, up to this point, that with GameStop, that they haven't really been closing their positions, or the it's been a cascading situation of these positions are getting closed by one short seller, only for another short seller to come in and open a position, which is is creating an infinite squeeze situation that's some similar to that of the Volkswagen incident back in whatever it was two thousand eight or something like that. And and so here we are, and I, and I know I've, I'm kind of throwing a lot at you in this. This uh, this is almost like you know uh, Charlie Day, like in it's always sunny with the red the red uh, string everywhere. But uh, and and so just to kind of like summarize this very simply, right? Is people sold more shares than exist? They're on the hook for all of those shares that they sold. Meanwhile, a bunch of people for a uh, a couple of different reasons started buying up shares, which then forces these people on the hook to close the positions of those shares that they sold. And as a result, the price skyrockets and causing, you know, the, the, the sellers to effectively be the bag holders for once, right? For once, while the wall street people are actually the bag holders, uh, you know, certainly not an event that we've ever really seen, especially certainly, for all, all, you know, everyone listening to this lived through 2008, 2009. So, uh, they're, they're well aware of, uh, you know, even when Wall Street loses, they win, right? I mean, because they totally fucked up and still were not the ones holding the bag. So, uh, you know, imagine how that goes. But it, yeah, it, it, it's, and, and again, you know, t- to the point of what I'm saying with the infinite losses on a short selling is, Melvin Capital, it was reported, lost like 53% of their portfolio based on this short of, of GameStop. 53%. That's insane, considering that their portfolio was starting at like $12.5 billion. So they lost like six and a quarter billion dollars, a little over six and a quarter billion dollars in a month. One month. And like, and realistically, like basically in a couple of weeks. So it's, that is how, like, that is the high end of like getting fucked off of short selling. And that, and, and that's why I'm telling you, like, I just think that these, it, the game has to be rigged because they have to believe that that scenario can never occur for it to ever be worth it. Right. Like, I mean, because so the, you know, the maximum money that they were probably going to make was like, I, I don't know, best case scenario, right? Maybe they're going to make a couple, like, tens of millions, maybe hun- maybe hundreds of millions, like, depending on exactly where the position was, you know, how heavily weighted the position was. But, yeah, you're looking at, like, maybe you're making hundreds of millions. Maybe. And on the other end of it, you lose, you know, six and a quarter billion dollars. <laughs> I mean, that that's, I mean, that's why it's, like, it's impossibly hard to get people to bet money lines on heavy favorites, right? I mean, because it, it's people just don't find the juice to be worth the squeeze. It's like, you know, um, what, what was it like? 
Um, what what's a good example? The the fucking uh, the fucking Jets this year, right? Beating um, who the fuck was it? The Rams? The whatever they get? Yeah, I think it was what the Rams or something. Like when the Jets go on to win their first game of the season this season, and, and I don't know exactly what the numbers were, but I th- I think they were something like an eighteen point dog, something like that. Like the Jets had been somewhere in that range of like just total underdog. So at like 18 points, that means like the Rams, like to just bet that they win, right? Just straight up that they win is like minus like 2,000, 3,000, something like that. So it means you're going to put like two or $3,000 to win a hundred bucks. Who wants to take that bet? Even like, because even if it seems like that should be free money, it's just like, like, are you, no one's really worried, like, no one wants to be the person who makes that bet and then it loses, you know? Like, it's just like, is $2,000 worth risking to make 100 bucks? And, and like, uh, under those conditions, given the fact that it is football and it's like, nothing's a guarantee, you're looking at it, you're like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bet that fucking money line, you know? Like, the only way people ever try and bet, like, those heavy favorites, generally, the only way they bet the money lines of those heavy favorites is if they parlay all of the heavy favorites together. And then it's like, and then it's like, maybe you'll bet, like, if you parlay all the heavy favorites together and, like, maybe you bet, like, 10 bucks and then you, like, win, like, 15. You know, like it's like basically you could have just money lined any one team or something like that and base and gotten, uh, you know, much better odds under mo- like maybe like you money line a team that was a three point dog and like you'd get more money out of it that way. It, at least in terms of like what your return would be, obviously, the you know, with the risk, but the you know, the the percentage chance of winning on just money lining all the heavy favorites is not that high. I mean, it, it that falls through like more often probably than you would think. Like it, so th- that's that's what I'm kind of th- that's what's really fishy to me. That that's what kind of like makes me look at it and like what, you know, what was kind of going on behind the scenes that these people actually thought they were going to just be able to do this. So yeah, that that's that's kind of the long the the long winded approach, you know, uh, explanation for for what's going on with that. I, and I I know I kind of pieced this all together, like, and, and so I apologize if this wasn't actually more clear. But I I just thought that it was kind of important to to speak to the fact that like this like everyone's kind of calling it like oh you know redditors are just kind of doing this for fun or whatever, and it's like. And I mean, maybe you could sort of describe it as that, but it's not really a just for fun kind of thing. It, it actually has a, a, a really legitimate basis behind it. And I don't mean like legitimate basis as some sort of us against them, like a true uh, Occupy Wall Street kind of thing. I, I mean, a legitimate basis of th- they found a market inefficiency and they realized that there was a way to take advantage of that market inefficiency. This is, you, you know, because these regulators and whatnot are kind of coming out all also and like, well, we're looking into this and people are crying foul. Oh, they're manipulating the market. It's a pump and dump, all this, blah, blah, blah. And people are saying, this is craziness. This isn't investing. This is, you know, there's no fundamentals behind this. And, and therefore, you know, it's this is fraudulent or whatever. And 
for the for the fundamentals people, you know, I I I tend to find myself to agree with them when it comes to general investing, right? I I look at the fundamentals of a stock when I'm interested in investing something myself. I'm looking at these different characteristics, uh, you know, of you know whether it's the 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 PE price to book, the price to sales, you know, whatever the metric that that looks good, you know, free cash flow, whatever whatever the the metric looks good, you know, depending on the industry and the stock and 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 you know your your sort of goals. Uh, I, I mean, how is it that we just consider short interest not to be a, a fundamental value to consider with the stock? I, you know, we look at it as, and prior to this, right, the, this whole idea of these, these big, you know, smartest guys in the room, blah, blah, blah. They come out with their short, their short reports and, and say, Hey, you know, we don't like this stock because of this, this, and this. And, you know, while all their fundamental analysis could be right, there's a lot of people who literally are not looking at their fundamental, like don't care about their fundamental analysis. They're just looking at it like, well, those people are short that. Those people don't like that stock. Don't care what the reason is. It it's just they don't like it, and therefore I'm not going to touch it, right? Uh, and and so that is a fact, right? That would be market manipulation, right? For them to come out and be like, "Hey, we don't like this stock, and we have a lot of purchasing power in this market, and therefore that moves people away from it." That, so somehow, when the short interest is such that. Oh, you know, I don't want to buy this stock because of the high short interest. Somehow that's an, like, that's an okay way to look at it. But then when someone says, Hey, there's actually really high short interest here. And th- th- this could lead to some upward exposure because this, the short interest is too high. Uh, you know, I mean, they're just looking at it and they're saying, Hey, you know, this ratio of short interest is just too high. And therefore, there's a market inefficiency. I, I mean, everyone's like, well, you know, this, is a, this isn't this is market dynamics and market efficiencies, blah, blah, blah. This is exactly market efficiency. This is exactly what's supposed to happen when some sort of fundamental goes way out of bounds. The short interest was way too high and the market reacted. It did like the most efficient move here was to power, like just pound into the stock and just and then boom, like as far as, I mean, just the most efficient move in terms of like, if you're trying to make money and capitalize on the market, that's the move. It, that's just clearly the move. So it, that that's what I don't understand. It, it's, it, it screams to me that it's a lot of people who are upset that, you know, they basically got the game played on them and, and, and they see it, that as somehow unfair, you know, like, uh, you know, woe is me. I, I'm the only one who's supposed to be allowed to play this game where I screw people over. So that, that's kind of, you, you know, my take on it as well is kind of giving some background and, and input on this that uh, I, I just think that the media right now, all they're kind of saying is this is craziness. They're doing this for fun. The, and they're really just ignoring the fact that there's like legitimate basis from a, uh, technical, point of view as to why like why this would happen and why this like made perfect sense and, and frankly why you know why it is that it was exceptionally like logical it was it was the most logical thing to occur so 
that, you know, hope you enjoyed it. Hope maybe that gave you a little bit more insight or, or any information. And, you know, like I said on the front end, not a financial advisor. Don't take, I'm not giving you stock advice. I'm not telling you to buy anything. I'm not telling you to sell anything. I'm not telling you to do anything. I think you got to do what you think is right based on your own due diligence. And, you know, and, and, in personally, my in my opinion, I think the best thing to do is to do your own due diligence. I, I mean, right? I mean, look at all the people who invest their money with Melvin Capital because apparently these guys, they're so smart. They're these financial wizards. Uh, how about I just go ahead and fucking lose six and a quarter billion dollars of your money? Not mine, of your money. You know, so I, I personally just, I've never trusted those people. I've always found that if I'm going to invest my money I'm going to do it myself. You know, it's like if I'm going to lose money, I'd rather at least I'm the one who's losing my money, not I, not me paying somebody to lose my money for me, you know. So, again, that's my opinion. That's not advice. Don't want, you know, do what you got to do. But uh, hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed this episode and, and, you know, found any of this topic pretty interesting or entertaining. If there's anything that you felt like I didn't cover here or any further questions or anything that made things too confusing – uh, you know, feel free to reach out. Please do give me a comment, DM me on Instagram, whatever it is, you know, follow and, you know, follow me on Twitch, message me on my Twitch chat, whatever it is. That's how you can contact me. Uh, or, you know, if you have my number, you can text me. That works too, but appreciate y'all. Peace out.